Good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm the associate pastor here at Getwell Church South Haven. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for worship, whether you're here on campus or you're joining us online, however, wherever, and especially if you're our guest today, welcome. So glad that you're here. Uh, as you might have seen over the last uh, couple of weeks is we have been unveiling our Love Your Neighbor Challenge, right? Um, we're looking at what does it mean for us to challenge one another to start uh, stepping out and not being afraid to intentionally love our neighbor as ourselves, to share the love of Jesus with all that we come in contact with in our daily lives. And I can only imagine that as we continue to do, through, do these challenges, as we continue to live this out, the way that God is going to use it. And so we want to know exactly how, it, how is God using that. Last week's challenge, Pastor Jonathan, uh, his challenge was that we would write a note or let someone know a note of encouragement or of prayer uh, for someone in our lives that we know has been struggling or just needs that word of encouragement. We'd love to know how did that, how'd that go this week? Uh, what are some stories? What, what did God do through it as you came together, as you took that initiative, that step of faith uh, in, in doing that challenge? And so uh, if you've got a bulletin, you can open it up. And at the bottom of the middle section, uh, there's a way that you can submit those stories. Um, Y'all, it, it will be a blessing to us to hear how how God has been moving and working uh, in your life. But here is uh, this week's challenge. We all know the social norm where, you know, your waiter or your cashier or the bank teller, whoever it is, what's the first question they always ask you when you walk up? How are you today, right? Well, here's the challenge for this week. I want you to beat them to it. Beat them to it. Say, hey, how are you today? And here's the thing. Really mean it. Step into it. How are you today? And then listen Listen and ask, how are you really today? And then if you really want to be countercultural, besides just the fact that you ask them first, can I pray for you about that? Can I, can I lift you up in prayer real quick? So it's the how are you today challenge is our challenge for this week. So beat somebody to it wherever you are. How are you today? Really listen. And then if you want to be extra uh, countercultural, you don't get extra stars, but I don't know. I might give you a star if you do it. Uh, but then maybe pray with them uh, if you can. And hey, don't, please, let's, let's just be people who, as we go throughout DeSoto County in this region, that we're just flavoring uh, every, we're just leaving the aroma of Jesus wherever we go by the way that we love one another. And then don't forget to share those stories with us. I think that it's going to bless you as much as it will be a blessing to them. But step out and it be intentional with that. So this morning we're continuing in our sermon series called Salt and Light, where we're looking at diving into this meaning of what Jesus meant that we are to be salt and light in this world. And really, this Salt and Light sermon series is giving us the why behind our Love Your Neighbor uh, challenge, why we can take that risk. And there really is tremendous impact that happens on the world when we do love our neighbors uh, as ourselves, when we live out that calling that God has given us. And so if you weren't able to join us last Sunday or haven't had a chance to uh, catch up on the sermon, I encourage you, go back, get on our website, find uh, Pastor Jonathan's sermon from last week on kind of that passage from Matthew 5 of what it means to be salt and light. What, what does that mean? How do we live that out? And so uh, do that. But this morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible or a device that you want to read from, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as we approach this text here this morning, One of the things that we have to do first is look at this very first word in verse 19. It's the word, therefore. And I had a pastor one time tell me that if you ever see the word, therefore, the first thing you should do is stop and ask, what is it there for, right? What is, why, why, why did he put therefore? What, what's going on here? Well, the author of Hebrews is basically saying that everything I've said up until this point comes to this part. Because of all of this, this is what we should do. He's just spent the previous nine and a half chapters laying out this call for for believers to persevere in the faith that has been won by Jesus, our perfect and spotless sacrifice before God. And therefore, we can persevere amid whatever difficulties in life come, that we can do that because of, of Jesus. And now because of what God has done, this is what he's going to call his readers to do. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way opened up uh, for us through, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, because of what God has accomplished in Jesus's faithfulness and obedience to the cross for our sins, we now have confidence to enter into a relationship with Jesus Another way to put it, as some translations have for the word confidence, it's a boldness. I think about that, a boldness, a confidence to enter into this relationship with God. You see, for an Israelite, the presence of God, it dwelled in the temple. And the temple was the very center of their relationship with Jesus. You went to make sacrifices so that um, they were able to have a relationship with, with God. But only the high priest was ever allowed into the most holy place. It was the innermost room of the temple. There was a curtain that separated it. And only one time a year was the great high priest able to enter into this this most holy place to give a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. It was during the day of atonement. But you see, for us, living this side of the cross, we've had a sacrifice made for us a once and for all sacrifice of forever atonement for sin, and that comes by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 12 says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. And it's because of his blood, because of Jesus' blood, that we're able to enter into God's presence, that we're able to be reconciled with him and have a relationship with him once again. 
Just as with Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden with God there, that presence, that relationship that they once had before sin. Now because of Jesus' blood, because of his sacrifice, because of his atonement that he makes for us, we too now can have God's Spirit dwell inside of us. We become the temple That chasm that once separated us from God has now been bridged by Jesus and we are now able to enter into a beautiful and wonderful relationship with our God. And here's the thing, it's not an old and dead kind of way such as the the sacrificial system was. No, it's a new and living way. It's by Jesus. He's the only way. Every other way will not stand up to that. God's plan of redemption for the world through Jesus is far superior to the old. Far superior than anything that we can conjure up in our heads. And because of that, we can have freedom from our sin. We can have the fullness of life. We can have a transformed life from our old self into the life that which God created and intended for us to have as his people. See, our lives before Jesus, they're marked by sin. We can't achieve the perfection that's required for us to be saved. It's just impossible. We can't rescue ourselves. No matter how hard we try, we have to have someone greater than you or I to be able to do it. It's Jesus. We need Jesus. We're given this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. See, God in his grace has freely given us the opportunity to receive the grace of Jesus, the grace of salvation that we so desperately need. In his grace, we find freedom and forgiveness. In his grace, we find hope and healing. And in his grace, we find Jesus himself, our Savior, and we find a redeemed and renewed life. Because you see, here's the thing. The trajectory of our lives is changed because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. We're all headed one direction. But what Jesus does is comes and he takes and he turns us. He, he changes us. He changes the trajectory of our life. He makes a way for us to be saved so that we can do what we can confidently enter in to that most holy place. Into a relationship with our maker, our father, our redeemer, our God. And if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're never going to be able to have a relationship with God, if you feel timid, maybe you feel like, oh, I don't know if I measure up because of X, Y, and Z, God. I, I just don't know that I can. I want you to remember the songs that we just sang. There's nothing that our God can't do. Jesus, our redemption our salvation. It's not in ourself, it's in his blood. God can change the trajectory of your life. He's willing and he's wanting and he's able to do just that. So this offer of new life that our passage is reminding us of this morning, is a free gift to all who would trust with their heart confess with their mouth, who would repent of their sins and turn and trust in Jesus. Surrender your life. Let go. Allow God to come and change and see what he can do in your life. And when we truly understand 
when we truly grasp, when we begin to live out of what God has done for us, it's going to change the trajectory of our lives. But here's the thing, it doesn't just change our eternity, it changes our present as well. And that's why we can have that kind of confidence to enter into that relationship with God. And in that confidence, we're called to live faithfully and to obey God in being salt and light in the world. So therefore, right, as the, as the author has written, therefore, because of what God has done, he's now going to lay out three appeals, three things for us to do in light of this. So verses 23, uh, 22 through 25. The first appeal is this, comes to verse 22. It's let us draw near in devotion. Let us draw near in devotion. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near in devotion. See, the Lord is near now, like right now. He is near to us because Jesus has closed that gap. So we can draw near to him, and not with timidity, not with a lackadaisical kind of attitude, but with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. We need devotion to God, not just on Sunday morning, not just when we feel like it, but in our entire lives, our whole self devoted to God. And that's because God is a personal God. He's different than all the other gods that, that the world can make up. Our God loves us. Our God is deeply in love with you, as the song said. And that's true. He, he chases after you. He, he longs for you. And what he deserves is nothing less than our full attention, full devotion to him. He's a loving father, not a, some far off tyrant, but he's a loving father who desires for us to walk with him, to love him, and to, to experience the fullness of life with him. But we have to draw near. We have to draw near. And as Jesus described it, we have to abide in him. Think about how a child, when they're scared or when they need something, what do they do? They go to the one person they know that can, can help them in their need. There may be a hundred other people in the room, but they know that one person. Who is this? Their parent, right? They run to them. Friends, that's the same thing that we can do with our loving father. We can run to him, not just in our time of need, but in every moment of our lives. He wants what's best for us. He wants to take and mold and guide and love and cherish us. That's what God does for us. And because in him we have forgiveness, belonging, and fullness of life, let us draw near in devotion. Second thing, second appeal that the author gives us is in verse 23. Let us hold firm to hope. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Now, I know that you probably already know this, but life is hard, right? Life is hard. Junk happens. We can be on the mountaintop one moment and then it's like we turn the corner and all of a sudden we're in the valley, right? I mean, life has that way. 
And that's what it's like when we live in a broken and fallen world. It's just the reality. But here's the thing. Unlike the world, we are people of hope. We're people of hope. Not people of despair. Not people of of apathy. We are people of hope. It distinguishes us from all the other people in the world. We have hope. Not in ourselves. Not in this world, but in God alone. Because for he who promised is faithful. God has given us his promises. God has worked out several of those promises of which a lot of us are benefiting from, right? But there are promises that God has made that aren't quite yet here. But yet, God is at work. And if he has promised it, he is faithful to see it through. That's why we have hope. It's not in us. It's not in this world. But it's in God alone. And I love, I I make up words. And I don't know if this is really a made up word, unswervingly. It kind of sounds funny when you say it out loud. But y'all, unswervingly, not going from to the left or the right, but staying steady course, no matter what the world throws at you, you are on course with your eyes fixed on he who is faithful. Hold firm to that hope. Be different than the world. Anchor yourself to God. So let us draw near. Let us hold firm to that hope. And then our third and final appeal comes in verses 24 and 25, where he says to us, let us be committed to the mission. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we're urged to be committed to the mission of God. It's God's heart that all of the world would come to know him and experience the life that he wants for them, that, he's, that has been won for them. And he uses us, you and me, to show and to tell others of that very good news. It continually blows my mind whenever I think about the fact that God's plan, of God's design for reaching the world so heavily involves us. <laughs> I go... God, there are 100,000 other ways you probably could have gone about this, but you chose us. And that's because what we do in this life matters. He, He uses us. And so we have this obligation to one another to to make sure that God's great plan of rescue continues to unfold on the earth until Jesus returns again. It will always be something that we do. And I think that's why the author writes for us that we're to spur one another on. We're to encourage one another. Why? Because there's a sense of urgency. The day is coming. The day is approaching. Jesus is coming back. Are we ready? Have we told others of the good news of Jesus? Are they ready? There's an urgency behind this. So this word spur, spur one another on, the Greek kind of lends itself to to a better rendering of provoke. We've got to provoke one another. Now, I've been told that I tend to provoke uh, quite a bit. You can ask our staff or my wife. Um, y'all can pray for them. But we're not going to talk about me this morning. I'm going to talk about, we all know that, that one person in the comments on those social media posts that really love to provoke, right? Um, they're just there for the comments. Um, just not in a good way. 
What would it be like if instead of the, the power and the energy that we spend in provoking one another to anger, we provoked one another to love and good works? What would that look like? What would this world look like? What would it look like if you got in my face at times, I gave you the permission to, to say, Hunter, I need you to love more here as Jesus would love. What would it look like for you to say, Hunter, you haven't served alongside us in a, in a while. I need you to come and serve and God wants to do something through this. Hunter, I see this gifting in you that, that God is wanting to use in big ways. How can I help encourage you and spur you on to this love and good deeds that God has called and created you to do? We have to hold each other accountable to this mission that God has given us. Whether or not you want to give somebody permission for it, in a loving way, the author of Hebrews here, Scripture has given us the permission to spur one another on, to provoke one another to these love and good works. What God wants to do in and through us, it has to be worked out. It's not just something that's going to happen intentionally. And just because you became a Christian doesn't mean that God is done with you yet. He's still at work in your life. And as the church, we have to come alongside each other, reminding each other of this mission that God has given us to take his good news to the world, to spur each other on toward the mission. And I really think that we're the only people who truly can love in the right ways because we understand of the love that we have been shown first in God. I think that we're truly the only people who truly can and rightly do good things, good works, good deeds, whatever you want to call them. I think that we're the only people who can do them because God's Spirit comes and changes our hearts, changes our minds, changes our desires so that they're not the same as the people of this world who are without Jesus. But he takes, and instead of our good works and good deeds and our love being self-centered and selfish and all about us, they change and they're transformed and they're about Jesus, not us, but Jesus and what he wants and what he desires. That, friends, that is what makes the difference. It's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So along with provoking one another, spurring one another on, he says that we are not to give up meeting together. Now for the first century church, when they would have heard these words, it could have been because they had started experiencing persecution and the gathered body together, maybe that would have uh, been a scary thing. Or maybe they were just comfortable with the way that life was. I don't know. I don't know. They were just happy where they were. But here's the thing. There's something special about the gathered church together. There's something special about Christians coming together in any arena and living life together. It's because we encourage one another by doing so. We realize that we're not alone in this life, but that we go together in all things. You see, it's impossible for me to be held accountable when I'm by myself. I have to have, as iron sharpens iron, it takes two pieces of iron, right? I need encouragement to make it through this life. And it's no wonder that people feel so isolated and so alone in this world when they don't have companionship from fellow believers who can lift them up, who can do that work of encouragement in their lives. We need each other. We're here for each other. 
And when we come together on days like today, when we come together in this room, we leave unified in mission. We leave out of these four walls and, and we go and we be the church because we've built each other up. We've spurred each other on. We've encouraged one another in our time together. Now, I think our culture would have us think and believe that, that I, as the individual, am the most important person. I'm priority number one. It's all about me. And I think it would be illustrated kind of like this. Me over we. Me over we. Me, me, me over we, right? What I want, what I desire, what makes me feel good, what doesn't make me feel good, right? It's all about me, 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 me. And I feel kind of like a toddler whenever I say that. But friends, that's how I act a whole lot of times. It's all about Hunter. It's about me. And if we embrace this me over we attitude in life, then the mission of God will never go forth as it could in my life and in the church. See, there's a broken and hurting world in need of this message of love and grace in Jesus, this hope that only Jesus brings. And if I continue to live for me, then the world will never experience what God has for them through my life or through the church. But here's the thing. Because of what God has done in Jesus, we're called. We're, we're called to and we're called that we can, can flip this, this phrase. Instead of it being me over we, it looks more like this. We over me. We over me. Just think about the potential there if we swapped those. My wants and desires, they, they would be transformed into what's best for my neighbor or the whole, not just about me. You know, what's comfortable for me where I want to stay in my comfort zone, it would be transformed for me being okay with stepping outside of that comfort zone if it was for the mission of God. We have a saying here at, at Getwell Church as a staff where we say, and as leaders, that we're not going to do what's just best for Getwell Church. As great as that would be, it's always going to miss the mark. We want to do what's best for the kingdom because whatever's best for the kingdom, whatever's best in, in step with God's spirit is always what's best for our church. Even if it's a tad uncomfortable, even if it's going to move us out of our comfort zone, even if it's going to challenge us a little bit, if that is what God wants, I would always take that as an opportunity for growth, as an opportunity for diving into it, as an opportunity to express the gospel more fully and more appropriately than ever before. But if we keep holding on to our preferences, if we keep holding on to, to this, then we're never going to be salt and light. And that's because of this. We must embrace the mission over our preference. We must embrace the mission over our preference. I'm sure that Jesus much would have preferred not having to go to the cross for our sin. He even prayed for it. I'm sure he would have gladly done something else, but he didn't. He embraced the mission. He embraced God's will. Why? So that we could have life. It's what was best for the world, not just for Jesus. To be salt and light, we must embrace mission 
over our preference. We have to let go and allow God to use us how he wants as we establish his kingdom, as we work to, alongside him to establish his kingdom here on the earth. But here's the thing. The, the mission that God has given us, it isn't ours to carry alone. Just like we're, we're not meant to live our lives alone. You're not alone. It's me and you and, and you and me. We're in this together. And I think that's why our text today is not, you know, let me or let you. But it's, it's we. It's let us. Because when we are salt and light, we realize that we aren't alone. We are better together. We're better together. God has, God can, and God will do amazing things in our life. He's made a way for us that we could not make for ourselves. And we're joined together to live the life that he desires for us to have, one filled with love and with purpose. And when we're together, what we do is we help each other know that we do matter. You matter. We help the world know that they matter to a God who loves them so deeply. And when we're together and we understand this and we embrace this we over me mentality, we're a fuller, more beautiful expression of the gospel than we ever can be on our own. You're not alone in this. Because of what God has done in Jesus, let us draw near to God in devotion, wholehearted devotion. Let us hold firm, unswervingly to that hope that God has given us. And let us be committed to the mission of God over our preference for the sake of the world. Let's do it together. And let's embrace that we over me mentality in life. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful that your word is living and active. Lord, that it's not just some words on a page, but it is truth. Lord, it is truth that comes and, and changes our lives. And God, I ask this morning that your truth would go in our ears, that it would reach our minds, that it would start to transform our minds, but Lord, that it would also make that distance down to our heart and change our hearts. Lord, would you free us from the bondage of the me, me, me. Lord, would you help us to embrace a life that sees the mission that you have given us and that we would always put that over our preference. Lord, knowing that you are gonna do great and wonderful things through it. Lord, if, if we have not opened ourselves up to you, if we don't understand this because of what Jesus has done, Lord, would you take and change and move in us right now, Lord? that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would receive the sweet, sweet, soothing and wonderful grace and love, Lord, that you offer so freely. Would you help us to move to repentance, Lord, and to receive the grace that you're giving? Lord, if we've been walking with you for a while and we've already done that, but, but we're just 
not sure, Lord, if, if we've let life take us and, and Lord, we're just tired, would you come? Lord, would your spirit come and fill us afresh? Lord, that we would know and see, Lord, that we would walk in obedience with you. Lord, I pray for all of us that in this time, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that we would be searched and known. And Lord, that we would experience the love and the goodness, Lord, the, the mission that you have for us. Lord, that we would take and embrace it and go forth from here as people of hope and people with a message that the world needs to hear. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we pray that you would move as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In a second, we're going to sing a song. But before we do, I want to invite you, if you would like to pray about anything, you're welcome to come forward and kneel at the altars. Jonathan and I will be up here, and you can wave us over if you'd like us to pray with you. Uh, you can grab a friend, come and pray. Uh, you can pray at your seats. You can kneel in your kitchen, wherever you are. Uh, but take this time to respond. And I want to invite you to reflect on the words of the song that we're about to sing, because it's truth. If you really think about it, the only reason that any of us are in this room or joining online today is because we have a risen Savior. We have a risen Savior who, because He was risen from the dead, we have life. That's the only reason we can gather. It's the only reason we have hope for what's to come. So if you will stand, let's sing together about what our God has done.